two years ago, probably I would have been in that boat. Um, I went through a season where I pretty much lost everything, pretty much. And um, hopelessness is a cancer to your mindset. Um, I think um, I just to anyone that thinks that they have peaked. And by the way, I think I had that was always my scare of everything in everything I did. I think is this going to be my biggest? Is this going to be the last? You know, like when you start seeing, you know, like your likes go down on social media or, you know, or the podcast's views go down and you're like, oh man, I've peaked. I think it's a profound thought that can disable action and, uh, and execution. And I, I, I think what I would say to that person is this, go again. Go again, stand up, fight on, and go again, because it was never about you. This is the podcast where you come alive to your own exclusive magic and find strategies to work that magic in the real world in a way that feels authentic and exciting and inspired and lucrative <laughs> and fun. I'm your coach, Bethany Shipley, and this is The Bethany Shipley Show. We are here. We are in the virtual studio, not actually in the same studio, but across the screen from me is the one and only Ben Cooley. And for those of you who don't know Ben, and not only is it Ben, we have a little adorable fur baby right behind. Ben, who is what that? Oh, uh, I've got I've got two behind me. You can't see it, but um uh a little one that's a double doodle called Geordie, after the people in the northeast of England called Geordie, and then a ginger dog that's a golden doodle called Lucy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, and, and there are so many amazing things that I don't even know. So this conversation is going to be amazing. But Ben, what I do know about you is that you are so multifaceted and you have founded many things that have completely exploded in the world. The first one that I knew about was Hope for Justice. But since then, I've seen you and your wife um, create a company that from what I understand, is a business growth company that helps non-for-profit and also for-profit companies do yes, a lot of things that get in the a way of growing. Things. That's right. That's right. That's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. I can't wait to hear all about it. So give us, if you don't mind, the maybe three-minute snapshot version of your story um, as if, like, for whatever you want to share, the highs, the lows, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, I trained as an opera singer. So I used to wear tights and makeup and dance around, and I used to do that in operas as well. And um, and so, uh, yeah, so always thought I was going to be destined towards stage. Kind of had this beautiful moment where I heard about this um, issue called human trafficking. I suppose that wasn't beautiful, but actually it was beautiful to me because I realized I could be part of the solution. And, um, and I uh, founded or co-founded an organization called Help for Justice, and uh, grew that as 
the CEO to 12 countries, um, over 30 offices, and um, kind of had hundreds of staff. We affected hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And then in that season started um, subsidiary companies. I know this is really technical language now, isn't it? But subsidiary companies that helped um, uh, get um, some of the largest businesses in the world to, um, I know my dog really thinks it's brilliant, um, to, uh, um, to, to address slavery in their supply chains, which was just amazing. And then I've always been passionate about helping entrepreneurs and my dog is as well. Just wait one minute. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? The dog's always cutting bark Listen, at the wrong time. You know what? My brothers, they're professional musicians. When I go into their studio, they click record 10 minutes before we're going to start because they trust their editing. And for me, I yeah. think that's part of what I do is just what happens here actually Real life. out. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, so one of the things I was really passionate about was, is I'm, I'm super passionate about human trafficking or anti-human trafficking. Like I've given my life to be a voice largely because my own personal story, which I've never really shared. Um, but, but actually, um, I'm passionate about helping people make their thing, their dream, their magic. You call it magic. Mm -hmm. You know, their, their thing that this like, it wakes them up in the middle of the night going, Oh, I really want to do this with my life. And, um, I was able to, to do that i was able to to turn something that was a passion into a movement into something that then got me on platforms in front of world leaders um uh you know and it was brilliant and now i get the privilege of standing alongside entrepreneurs in the business space and non-profit space and my team there's quite a few of us come into their business and help them scale it and some of them have really grown quite fast so it's amazing Okay, that's that's awesome. Like three things that you said, and I'm going, ah, I hope it's okay if I ask this. Ask you it. said I've never shared my story. Yeah. So yeah, one of one of the interesting things about um the tension of leading an anti-human trafficking organization is is to some degree, you know, one of the reasons why I I did it was because as a child I was sexually abused by three different people. And um you, you know, I, uh, you know, I've grown up in a Christian environment. I've grown up in a Christian church. You know, so it's, but you know, particularly in the '90s, you know, this really wasn't spoken about. It wasn't something that there was safeguarding things for schools to kind of identify kids that were being or had been sexually abused. And and so, literally, I stuffed it. And when Hope for Justice came along in this opportunity where I heard about 1.2 million children a year sold, two children every minute. I thought, you know, my, my first thought, wow, if that was my daughter, I would do something. But it was the next thought that changed the course of my life. It is someone's daughter. I should do something. And that all the suppressed emotions that I'd had from that powerless moment in my, my story became and had meaning yeah. because then I could use my voice for all the millions that are suffering. You know, a lot of people um, have heard me share on platforms all over the world. And I, you know, I tell stories of other survivors. I was sharing this. I've only just shared the fact that I'm a survivor in the last two years. And I was sharing it with one of my best friends who's traveled with me for the whole journey of, of 
leading and being an abolitionist. He said, Ben, man, I heard you tell Emma's story in arenas. And I felt it and I was thinking, wow, I really feel Emma's story. But you weren't telling Emma's story. You were telling your story. And I was like, yeah, that's what I felt. I felt your story. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I've heard that live. I heard Emma's story, I think, live. And you, um, my husband is a very, he comes from a very traditional, don't show your feelings. Like, (laughs) we love, we love, we love his family. Um, but he, I am so proud of him because he has, well, he married me for one. And yeah. so he had to kind of get comfortable with just this like overkill emotion all the time. And I've seen him really get in touch with his emotions in such a powerful way. One of the breakthroughs that he had was actually, we were sitting together listening to you speak. And wow. at the time I had only seen my husband cry three times and two of them were personal, really challenging thing. But the third time something broke loose for him wow. was your connectedness and your ability to speak her story in such a authentically powerful way. Yeah, It wasn't manufactured and it wasn't, um, you know, forced in any way. It was completely true of what you were experiencing. Yeah. How many times did you tell that story? Hundreds. How did you stay connected to the emotion of it every time? Because I think it was so, it plays into the emotion of, of what I felt, right? I mean, I, there's no way on earth that I experienced the same level of trauma, abuse, and all of that that she did. But we've all experienced trauma. We've all got that part in our soul that's damaged, that's hurt, that's wounded as a child. You know, and, you know, whether that be through neglect, whether that be through bullying experiences. And um, I think one of the reasons why I held on to Emma's story and, and, and thousands of other stories that we were able to create and, and to people's lives we were able to really transform was because I realized early on that, like, this pain that I had could either could either hurt me, harm me, scar me, de- or or it could give me purpose. Mm-hmm. And so I found pain. In, I found purpose in my pain. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I I'm so excited to just have you here and just dig. So when did you realize, because obviously you knew you were born for the stage. <laughs> you thought it was yeah. going to be with opera. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. When did that kind of, where, did that feeling come alive for you when you were a kid or was it, when did you feel that feeling of what I would describe as your magic for the first time? Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew I wanted to be a singer. Largely because I just, I think early on, I just liked attention. <laughs> like, um, you know, like I was a middle child, middle child syndrome, you know, like, hello, I'm here. You know, don't look at the cute baby, my little sister. Look at me, you know. And so I kind of had that kind of like attention seekingness, which was innately quite selfish, actually. But as you grow and mature, you kind of kind of focus it into like a like an art or a sport don't you You know like i want to be really good at 
And I was really disciplined at music. But the curveball for me being a communicator on a platform, I didn't, I mean, look, the second speaking engagement I ever did was in front of 5,884 people. And it was at <laughs> my event, right? So I have learned the art of communication, like on the go. And th this is a really fascinating thing. If I'm speaking to entrepreneurs or people trying to find their magic, they kind of go, or their thing, their vision, they kind of go, oh, I'll wait to, they compare, which, come on, comparison is the worst. Do not compare. I just want to say in front of everyone, social media is fake, right? <laughs> like it's a big thing, right? Because it is, like we all present our best life. But really, quite frankly, right now, in two rooms next to me, there's someone barfing, right? And they're like, <laughs> you know, like, come on, let's be really honest, right? We all have, we all have to go to the bathroom every day. Our life is not as glamorous as social media. But it, social media and that mentality of comparison stops people from finding their magic because it tells them this. They're not ready. You know, every entrepreneur I've ever met, and I've met billionaires, I've met world leaders, um, you know, every single one of them has imposter syndrome. Every single one of them started before they were ready and so that for me is one of the things that i've learned about the art of communication because i got on platforms was i just had to learn i went back and i said to my team how could i evaluate mm -hmm. evaluate with me you know how could i have done it better how could that story have landed better how could i have articulated that and i think a true leader starts before they're ready, but they are very good at evaluating their experiences. Mm, yeah. So what would you say to someone who's like, okay, I, I feel that I, I have courage, but maybe my bit, like maybe they're in a season after their dark, I'm sorry, their dark night of the soul. They're yeah. after that. And then they're kind of in this like waiting period of, yeah. I know I'm born for something. I feel the leadership. I feel the, but, but I don't have clarity, what would you tell them to do? Serve. Mm. You know, I think servant leadership and serving is underrated now because often, you know, like, I mean, I, the people my age that I was employing um, wanted to become a director within three weeks. <laughs> and uh, they wanted to, like, be at the top of their game. But I think there's an art of apprenticeship that's profoundly missing and is coming alongside people. You know, I say this to entrepreneurs and I truly mean it. There's two tips that I can give you right now. You're a byproduct of your environment. So choose your environment well. That means there's several facets, facets to this, but the number one facet is your friendship group, right? is you will become like the people that you hang around with, right? Um, and so who are you hanging around with? That's the question I have. Like for people who are going, I, I'm, I've got a call, I've got a feeling, I've got a notion, I want to do something great with my life, then who are you hanging out with, right? Are you hanging out with someone that's, that's, that's not going to inspire that, you know? You want people that when you share an idea, a concept, can be wow instead of, well, how is that going to work? You know, you need the wow before the how. So you choose your environment well. Second thing is this, is that when you get to that point where you found your thing, hire well. Hire the right people. 
right? Don't just hire because they're my friend or it's going to be safe or, you know, hire as good as you can, right? And pay as much as you can, right? I know that sounds extraordinarily, but every single one of the business startups I've ever been part of or charity startups, I tell them, if you, if you get top draw staff, it's going to elevate you. And, you know, I employed people, I had 26,000 staff in the place. I, I employed people that were, I mean, my, my number two, he's in my company now, Maxwell and Marie. He was, um, he had over 10,000 staff in business. When he came to Learned live with you. Yeah. Mm. Learn from them. Like, ask about their evaluated experience and deposit into your vision. And then you can make things happen. That's that's uh, just that right there. Like if you're not sure where to go, if you're not sure, like serve, it's so simple and yet so profound because it's experiences that's just gaining you so much uh, yeah, data for how to move forward. I love that. Okay. So if you could go back in time, obviously you started this foundation that was extremely successful. What would you do? What would you do differently? Would you do anything differently? Yeah, absolutely, I would. So, I mean, it's interesting. I, you know, as I reflect on my own leadership um, and being utterly vulnerable here, uh, there's a phrase that I um, have thought about often over the last couple of years. And it says, hardship tests perseverance. Well, it was really hard, right? Starting something's really hard. Like, don't expect that, like, when you start something, that it just goes, like, the X factor route of, like, from nothing to a hero straight away. From, like, these ads that come on and go, I can grow your business to $10,000 a month. But that's, that's called unicorn selling, mm-hmm. right? Like hardship tests your perseverance. It tests your ability to, are you going to keep on going? Are you going to celebrate the wins? Are you going to, when it gets difficult and you feel like the world is against you and the finances aren't available and you feel like giving up because is it really worth it? It Does it really matter? Did God really say? You know, those moments, it tests your (laughs) perseverance. It tests your perseverance. I think the thing I learned is this. Hardship tests perseverance, but success tests your character. Mm. Now, I think all of us have character flaws. Mm -hmm. I think all of us make mistakes, and I'd like to be a leader that gives people second chances, third chances, fourth chances, because I follow a shepherd that, that has given me that example. But I feel for leaders. I do. I, I, I actually now stepping out of the, I don't want to call it the rat race, but the big, the big organization, the big responsibility, the tens of millions of budget, you know, the hundreds of staff to look after. It is isolating and it is lonely. But I hadn't learned the art of self-care mm. because, you know, you know, when you're on that plane and you kind of go, um, where they make this announcement. And I had this kind of almost, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's almost this prideful response. You know, on that plane when they say, 
Remember, guys, to fit your own masks first. Mm -hmm. And now be like, no, I am an abolitionist. I'm going to rescue everyone before I put my own mask on. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure the staff are looked after before I put my own mask on. Well, here's where it gets real, isn't it? This is where it gets real. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that before I fit my own, like those people that were that I was giving to, but there was also people that I was neglecting because I was giving to, right? Mm -hmm. And that was my family. That was my kids. That was me. And that means if I wasn't fit my own mask, I couldn't be the healthiest version of me, and I wasn't. And I think one of the lessons that I've learned is, is that when you grow and when you scale and when you get tested in your perseverance and you get to the, to the destination everyone wants to get to, which is success, right? <laughs> you know, like it was awesome, right? I was getting invited to have dinner with the prime minister. Like I went to the White House and I wore a red hat that said, make America great Britain again in the White House. I did it. I wore it in the White House. I had what everyone else would perceive as per success. Mm -hmm. But perceptions aren't reality. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't dealt with what happened to me when I was a kid. And I hadn't processed all of that to a point where I was healthy myself. And I would say to leaders, one of the lessons I've learned is don't wait to success comes and tests your character, work on it right now. So here's some of the things that I think you should be doing as a leader. I think you should be investing in self-care, right? It's a non-negotiable, okay? Right, so things like counselor. It's not a shameful thing for a guy to get counseling, guys. Talk about it. Get going. Get some therapy going. I went to on-site. And I had the most profound experience where I went for a week just to focus on my mental health. You said on-site? On-site. On-site. Oh, I know it's my accent, isn't it? It's, it's what you guys would have sounded like if you didn't chuck us out of the country. <laughs> We're going there. Oh, we are, <laughs> That's yeah. Awesome. That's it. Yeah. So, I, like, counseling. Mm -hmm. Second thing is vacation. Mm -hmm. Third thing, date nights. Mm -hmm. fourth thing is this get part of a community like i've done something called the halftime institute and it's a group of business leaders that meet every couple of weeks and we just go how are you doing not what are you doing how are you doing and then the fifth thing is a mentor it's like have someone that says that's beyond a, a group that says i want to work through with you on setting goals they're the five things i would say oh my gosh that's that is awesome five, and you gave the practical of self-care and and success tests character did you ever feel yourself getting slipping into your ego yeah all yeah. the time i mean what was interesting is i think if i'm really honest i think leadership is broken in our society because we elevate leaders to a point where they can't be vulnerable. We also, you know, we we love shooting our wounded, don't we? We just love it. We love tearing them down. We love the whole scandal of it and all of that. But yeah. we've created that. Yeah. Because now a leader that gets elevated on social media or elevated on a platform gets tens of thousands of people that attend their congregation or church or like their movement or whatever. 
you know, we're like, yeah, that's awesome. But then they can't talk about their vulnerability. Where did they go? And so then that alter ego that, that's successful then grows. And then the bit in them that they just can't handle, they can't deal with. Who do they go to? And then suddenly that bit crumbles and then it becomes public. And then what? We tear them down and we say the 99.999% of things that you did good is now forgotten. And yeah. now we're just going to focus on the 0.1%. You are officially canceled. Boom. <laughs> You're out of here. Well, no, I think we should be a kinder society than that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally relate. This morning, my six-year-old and I were watching a rerun of Britney Spears before she kind of had her own personal, you know, dark night of the soul. And yeah. um, I remember when, it, you know, when she, I think when she shaved her head was kind of the moment that I was like, oh, she's not perfect. Like, you know, wow. as a little kid. And I told my six-year-old, I said, you know, when you get really famous <laughs> yeah. that's the only word she understands at this yeah. point when you get really famous you sometimes it's tempting to start thinking that you actually are somehow better than other people yeah. and she you know she just her eyes were so wide she's like that's just seems so impossible i said i know and i'm sitting here saying i know it sounds crazy but thinking in the back of my head like i've done it a million times yeah. And I consider myself a pretty down to earth person, but there have been times where I got too mm -hmm. in my head about it. And I think sometimes I just, I thank God for the opportunities I've had where I haven't had success mm -hmm. and like, I, you know, <laughs> the, the places I haven't had momentum in my life, because it's like, that's almost just as healthy or that is better for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do, do you know, I think it's really interesting if you were to actually interview and it's a fascinating thought for me if you interview leaders that might give off the feeling that they're better than everyone else it's actually overcompensating because they don't feel that mm, and yeah. that that, uh, that imposter syndrome like i i felt like towards the end i was getting so anxious going on platforms even even though like i i was used to it i could do it you know it was the thing but it was just this sense of like the pressure, the overwhelming sense of it. So, yeah, I mean, I totally think, and I think self-care is so important for the for entrepreneurs because you throw your heart and soul into it mm -hmm. and you've got to be careful, you know? Yeah. Ben, I got connected with this girl, Katie, last year or year before she just, we were running a 5k with our kids and I looked over and yeah. I saw her and immediately was like, I need to work with her. And my mind went to a place where I was like, Oh, I, I need to work with her. I, I know how it's going to happen. I know what we're going to do together. Yeah. And then as we got talking, I realized that's not at all what we're doing. And she started, she is incredible. I'm going to have her on the podcast next week, but she started a non-for-profit um, here in Kansas City called Foster Light. Yeah. And um, I I really imagine eventually you guys are going to work together in, in you know, maybe Foster Light, um, you know, works with yeah. Maxwell and Marie or whatever. I don't know how it's going to yeah, work, yeah. but um, I'm going to ask this question from... I, Katie asked me to be on the board. So I'm so happy to be on the board of Foster Light. She's doing an amazing job. She is fundraising like a boss. She mm -hmm. is um, just like, I feel so proud of her. 
Um, and I think, I mean, I would love for this conversation to be actually Katie talking to you, but since she's not here, I'm just going to ask from, from the perspective of someone who has just launched a passion project and they are so passionate about it that it can almost feel so weighty at the same time. How are you able to separate the weightiness is my question making sense? Like no, you're, you're yeah. talking about sex trafficking all the time and yeah. mm-hmm. that's a really heavy t- topic. And at the same time, you're trying to live your best life. <laughs> yeah. Be so, healthy. So people say to me, how do you find balance? Yeah. I don't think you can. I'm just going to ruin everyone's view on balance. I don't think balance exists. You can find priorities. But I don't think you can find balance. Um, if you sign something, find the right people that can help carry that weight. Like not anyone, but the right people. You know, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I formed Maxwell and Marie was because I really uh, and have been for the whole of my time uh, um, uh, as kind of an entrepreneur. I've been really passionate about linking people with the right people. You know, like say, for example, I don't worry about finances in my companies because I have Rob Allen and Rob Allen, like he looked after budgets of hundreds of millions, you know, so therefore that's taken off my shoulder. You know, I I don't worry about institutional fundraising, you know, in companies that I'm putting in because David and David was really good and developed tens of millions revenue. And so I put that weight on him. So it's like weight, um, like weight allocation mm-hmm. of finding the right people that can do the right things. Like Asher, for example, my wife, like I don't worry about social media. She's a freaking boss. Like mm-hmm. she knows how to take pictures. She knows how to do reels and she keeps it real. It's amazing. So like, um, so that, so find the right people, but that weight that she will be feeling. Unfortunately, I think that's leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think what you have to do is learn your rhythms of grace that allows you and write down your plan, not for the organization, but for you. Like, I never thought about myself when I was in leadership. I know that seems like, yeah, of course you did. I didn't. I didn't plan vacations. I didn't think about hey, this was my own personal goal. I suppose my personal goal in life was I wanted to grow Hope Right. And the same, but now I want to help entrepreneurs to realize they aren't what they do. Yeah. It's not intrinsically linked. Yeah. And that was hard for me. That was a massive lesson for me to learn that I'm not, I'm not Hope for Justice, right? I'm not Maxwell and Marie. I'm not, I'm not my next thing that I'm going to start. I'm Ben Cooley. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a follower. And and that's okay. That means if I don't, if, you know, I sat down with someone a few weeks ago who asked me about my career and I told him and he said, oh my gosh, Ben, what's it like to know that you peaked at the age of 41? I'm like, oh man, shut up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and then I realized, you know, Actually, everyone views what you achieve as who you are, but you're not who you're not your achievements. You're not where you've been invited to. 
It's not the state you are. And it's the art of self-love that actually keeps you going in leadership. That's awesome. I love that. And and I'll just shout out to Katie too, because she is so that way. Like she, yeah. mom of six and um, four with trauma. And she just, yeah. I see her in Target and she's got her headphones in. She's listening to a podcast and, you know, <laughs> I just I tell love you, that. Me and Ash would love to meet you one day. And just yes. to encourage her because, you know, these people need encouragement yeah. and they need, they need to be told it's going to be okay. Yeah. So, so with your new company, what exactly do, I mean, it seems like you do so many things. You've got so many companies, you got so many things going on. Mm-hmm. Who, who can you help if they're listening? Who can you help? Well, I mean, generally our speciality is, is organizations that already started. Um, I mean, we do mentorship. I do mentorship to, to CEOs or to entrepreneurs. Um, but generally, it's an organization that's, you know, might be 300,000, a million, two million, that's maybe three, five, something like that, um, that kind of looks at, like, I've reached a cap. I'm not hitting, you know, and then we basically put in infrastructure, whether that be a CFO, the bookkeeping. I mean, I've awesome. set this bookkeeping company. I love it. I love it. If you need bookkeeping right now, we've got you. You've got I've a got bookkeeping amazing- company. Yeah, but this is what's amazing is we're employing former survivors of human trafficking. Wow. Through it. And so it's like it's teaching them skills. Plus, you're getting your books done by people that were PWC auditors. So you're getting the best of both worlds, professionalism and social social good, right? So we That's have cool. loads of in- Yeah, it is cool. We've got loads of infrastructure that we lend to businesses to help scale them. And then we we give them the business models that they need to grow. So like some of our, like last week, we got 1.25 million in funding for one of our clients. And, you know, one of our organizations started off with us. It was 300,000 revenue. It's just about to hit 1.3 or 4 million revenue in 11 months. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. And they were consistently 300,000 for 10 years. So they really have been hitting that barrier and we were like let's think bigger think better and that's one of the things i'm really passionate about is helping people to think better thoughts you know leadership is actually just about thinking (laughs) and you're thinking the thinking affects your attitude and your attitude determines the course of your life right we sign up to that principle of you are what you think right and so have better thoughts about yourself, people. Come on. You know, a lot of the reasons why you're not doing that thing is because you're telling yourself every day you can't, right? So start changing your narrative on yourself, on your vision, on your purpose, on your organization, right? But thinking is is one of the most important things a leader can do. And so what we do is we come alongside their thinking and then we go, right, let us tell you. I mean, one of our one of the guys that's working at Maxwell and Marie, he had, you ready, the third fastest growing charity in America consistently for three years. Right? Now, he has a different thinking, right? He's going to challenge you in thinking and he's going to make you think, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not thinking. But lend, borrow his thoughts mm. and implement them into your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it'll help elevate you and that's exactly what we do. In, 
so many areas and facets of business, whether it be media and marketing. You know, our media and marketing person um, looks after Lauren Daigle's fan club. I mean, can you even believe it? <laughs> That's so I mean, cool. So and at, I will rescue you. At what, at what stage of someone's business do you think that it's time for them to outsource things? That's a really fascinating one. Because I was an in I was an insourcer for a long period of time. And then I quickly realized if I outsourced, I got better people on a fractional basis that then I could backfill with other people. So I I think when I was about three million revenue, mm-hmm. I wish I'd done I wish I'd done outsourcing faster. Yeah. And so what about um <laughs> have you ever had to downsize a company? Um I've had to restructure companies with downsizing. I've never downsized because of finance. I've always downsized because of um the ROI wasn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And whether that be programmatic, whether that be revenue, whether that be leadership structures. So I have. I mean, I've shut down programs, yeah. but I've, I've not shut down programs because of finance, largely because of how I view finance. Okay. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I look at having multiple revenue streams for a business. And I, I within the charity world, I call it the seven pillars of a sustainable charity. Now, a lot of organizations and social entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs try and go after one stream, right? And they go for big capital first, right? Now, this doesn't apply so much to say, um, like if you're opening a shop or if you're opening up, but it does to um, to multi-tech companies, all of that sort of stuff, is that I try and I don't go after the big cash first. I don't want one person giving me a million. I want a million people giving me one pound or one dollar because it's sustainable. So I build out a framework, depending on which business that you're you're building or charity that you're building, I build a framework to actually not be dependent on one stream. So once that happens is, then I have a three to six months liquidity before I launch a project or before I scale up, right? So it's about building that infrastructure for sustainable growth. So let's talk about charity. That means I have a public fundraising department, a high net worth department, a trust and grants department, an institutional department, a business department, and so all of those are working, and that's why I've never shut down a program for finance. And so those departments represent employees that are working with that specific group. Yeah, or right? not even employees. You can have, like I did, all seven of them start off with. But I wasn't just working on one stream. Yeah. Because then if that stream broke down, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't sustain it. Mm-hmm. And that meant for me when I was CEO of, um, that that meant that I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm reliant too heavily on. Right. So I spread. I looked at the broader scope of like, how do I, you know? So say if I was starting a window cleaning business, 
you know, because America's in America, just if you want to start a business, start window cleaning business because no one cleans windows. Yeah. <laughs> in England, we have our windows cleaned every week. No way. Straight up. Like you, prof- professionally cleaned? Yeah, of course we do. We have a guy <laughs> that's like, he's the window cleaner. He comes yeah. around and he cleans your windows every week. They're like, that's don't awesome. have dirty windows. <laughs> but Americans, they love dirty windows. Now, if I was looking at it as a business model, right, you can get paid once, like, a, you know, say, or you can set it up as a membership base mm-hmm. where they get discount. Or you can offer different products so that you're not reliant on. Do you see what I mean? Yes. You, you're, you're shaping your products, your value structure, so that you're not playing to one income stream. There's multiplicity of it. Does that make sense? Yep, it makes sense. And and I love how you broke it down for the nonprofit world too. You have different categories of that's that is so awesome. And I just so if you're if you're talking to um who who should be coming to you and saying can you help me like I'm imagining my friend Katie is like the perfect yeah. person, but yeah. I just so well, I, I mean, can get a clear vision of like because you're throwing out these numbers that are huge. I've never done three million in one month. You know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, I'm like, oh, clearly that's like far in the distance. Yeah, well, three million in a year, but like, um, I th- I think any anyone that that wants to grow and wants to have that ability, we can help. But I think you have to have that mindset to go. I you know I want to make that magic happen. Like it's not whether like there's some certain CEOs that come to me and I've gone, you're not ready. You're not ready with that mindset of I want to invest, I want to go, I want to do this, I want to change. You know, change is very difficult for people. And it is a change of mindset. Look, a change of mindset is not the same as changing your clothes. Right? It's hard. Because you're going to have to think differently. But, you know, this is the really interesting thing about innovation, right? Innovation is seeing what everyone else is seeing, but thinking what no one else has thought. So to some degree, what Maxwell and Marie does, yes, we provide services. Yes, we help scale. We're a business incubator, charity incubator. But it's an invitation to a high level of thinking and to link with your purpose and to say, we value that. So let's grow that. Let's and that doesn't mean just economically. Let's grow that so that the staff are healthier. Let's grow that so that people are healthier. you know, all of our all of our uh, our staff at Maxwell Murray have led big things, but we know how to contextualize it into small places. Oh, that's awesome! Thank you so much for just your time and sharing oh, on here. And um, I get I have one last question. Um, you said a few minutes ago that someone, a friend, said, "How does it feel to be forty-one and have peaked?" Yeah, <laughs> are you forty-one? <laughs> I am 41, yeah. Um, talk to the person who feels like they have peaked. Because that uh, feels really kind of um, almost some hopelessness happening on the other side of that. That's a really good question. I think um, two years ago, probably I would have been in that boat. Um, I went through a season where I pretty much lost everything. 
pretty much. And um, hopelessness is a cancer to your mindset. Um, I think um, I just to anyone that thinks that they have peaked. And by the way, I think I had that was always my scare of everything in everything I did. I think, is this going to be my biggest? Is this going to be the last? You know, like when you start seeing, you know, like your likes go down on social media or, you know, or the podcast's views go down and you're like, oh, man, I've peaked. I think it's a profound thought that can disable action and uh, and execution. And I, I, I think what I would say to that person is this. Go again. Go again. Stand up. Fight on. And go again. Because it was never about you. It was never about just you fulfilling your life's mission. But I believe in a higher calling that actually we're meant to better humanity. We're meant to increase love and peace and patience and kindness. And we can do that even on a micro level, but it might feel like that it's all about scale and all about numbers, but it's actually not. It's about the one. And so I want to say, look, guys, we made a mistake when we made our value about numeric value, right? We have this amount in our bank account. We have this amount in our budget. We have this amount of social media followers. We have this amount. It's not about that. Humanity is not about that. It's actually about bringing peace to the captives and freedom to the captives and justice to those that are broken and hurt and marginalized. And we can do that on a massive scale. And we can do it just with girls just like Emma. So go again. Write down your vision. Write down why, the why. And yeah, you've done great things, but it doesn't mean you can't do great things again. But I would say to you, my friend, is this. You've had this amazing experience, but everyone's got experience. The people that go again are those that evaluate their experience. They write down what they've learned and they implement it. And they execute it. And then they do great things again. <laughs> they make great they make America Great Britain again. <laughs> oh, come on. You know I I've love got that. that hat. Oh, yeah. I love that so much. Ben, thank you so much for just being here and sharing your time and your spirit. I I don't know if I can even express how much your um impact in my life just from watching you on on the stages has been so i mean it's just been so um i pull from people like you when i need inspiration so that that means a lot to me and that that's made my day and actually your husband crying the third time that i will forever remember that because you know that wasn't just about tears that was about his heart totally and that's meaningful to me. Thank yeah. you so much for having me on. 
Thank you so much for listening to The Bethany Shipley Show. I hope you feel more inspired. I hope you feel more excited, more clear on what your magic is because you are made of magic. And so all you have to do to make the magic happen is put yourself out there. So get on out there and do your best now, you hear? (laughs) 